Good to be here on this um, Easter Easter day, Easter morning, whatever you want to call it. Um, my um, my stint where I had like one page is pretty much gone now. So um, this morning I ha- I have a lot that the Lord's been putting my heart to share, and. Um, the time frame that we're living in is so bizarre and so different. And it's good in a lot of ways, but the enemy is really on the prowl. And he's doing things to try to disrupt, confuse. I mean, we could, we could really talk in great detail about every one of those things. And over the last few months, my heart, cannot get away from a lot of the things you see on this this handout. And I think it was maybe three or four nights ago, um, I had a dream. And it was about a dream that I'm, I'm going I'm to share some details because I think those are really important. But the dream involved a lot of different types of snakes that was in this dream. And... I was observing and watching and seeing specific people that were there. Um, I saw the different types of snakes that were there. The, with They had ornate patterns to them and colors, and, um, and they were different sizes and shapes. And um, There was one that really stood out among the three. Um, it appeared to be dead, but it was really alive. And it was a gigantic snake, humongous. And the more that I, I was kind of seeing it from a distance, but the longer that the dream went on, it was like my spirit was able to zoom in, very get very close without being detected that I was there. And I, the closer that I got to this being, we all know snakes represent spiritual beings, um, the, it was a snake, but with a human-like head. And all of a sudden, after I saw that, I was, my spirit kind of zoomed back out, and I saw everything from a distance and got a panoramic view of things that were going on around this, this, this setting. And I woke up the next morning, and immediately, you know, after you come out of an experience like that, th- these snakes were not attacking me. They weren't doing anything like that. They were just there. But full of venom and full of poison. And that was the predominant thing that stood out to me. One of the things that stood out to me was the venomous nature of all three different types of snakes. One was resembled like a, a, a rattlesnake, smaller. Another one was a gigantic python. And then this other one, I, I can't really, it was, it was gigantic like a python, but it was starkly different. And it reminded me of the, uh, the enemy in the garden, the serpent that came and appeared and changed his form in, in such a way that he was able to deceive Adam and Eve. Initially it was Eve, and then Adam partook as well. And knowing some of the things that are going on 
with within our body and within the network and and how the enemy is trying to infiltrate, how he's trying to creep in and do things that are just, they're really abominable. Um, I knew, and, and I started sharing this later on that evening with, with Tricia, and we were just talking about and discussing things. And she brought up the idea. She said, you know, there's all, the, all three different types of these snakes that you were referring to, you know, they, they're deadly. They're, they're not just um, like a little green snake where you could go out in the yard and pick them up and handle them and, and be bitten and not, not anything happen. These snakes are very, very poisonous. In fact, some of them are so poisonous that it will take minutes for you to die if you're not treated. And I felt the effects of all that in this dream. And so... Um, Location-wise, um, somewhere out in this world, <laughs> I don't know the, I wasn't, it, the snakes are not in our sanctuary, they're not within, I wasn't within a network church, I just know that these snakes are reaching into the world. It's, it's kind of like the enemy's objective is to deceive what? The world. He has a worldwide evil vision Contrary to God's vision, God's going, God's focused on the world too. But these enemy forces and Satan himself, he's orchestrating something that is trying to poison what God, he's not going to be able to stop what God's doing. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying as a people, every one of us in this room and every person that is part of the elect, the very elect, we better pay attention. Because the days that we're in are filled with great deception. And we, and, and I, know, I know all of you in this room, I know you're, you're intent, this is a word of warning for all of us. I know it shook me up when I, when I first encountered it and I saw it and I started to really think about it and study it. But man, the enemy, he is, he is bent on making sure that people like us are deceived. Day and night, he's doing things to try to cause us to enter into that deception. We have safeguards, though, but we have to choose to know the truth that leads us into freedom. And I mean, you think of how can the, it really, the mind can, I cannot fully comprehend how he can deceive people in this way. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? I mean, I know it mentally up here, but it's like, how could someone that once was just in the truth not recognize deception? You, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's very, how convincing and how crafty he was to convince Eve in the midst of perfection. And so you just start to think about that. And, and, and it's, it's a sobering type thing, for, or it should be for all of us. And as long as we stay in that mindset and we stay, Lord, I want to remain humbly underneath the covering of your eternal spirit. 
Those kind of things there and those kind of declarations are what will keep us. When we start moving away from that, we open, our, open, our, open up everything to where we can easily be deceived. And I don't think it's anybody's objective to say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to let deception come right in. I don't think anyone, any person that has ever been deceived has that, that thought process. So how does it all start? I'm not going to tackle that question, but it just get us thinking about that. So this dream, I started immediately going, well, Lord, I need to study snakes, scorpions, vipers, all those different uh, uh, types of uh, descriptions in, in the Bible. They're all there. <coughs> but then that didn't, it kind of gave insight, but it really wasn't what I felt was the main thing that I needed to focus on. And about three or four nights ago, it was just one of those evenings where I was just, I was just reading the scripture. Or go to bed and I'm reading in the book of Galatians and I come across the first passage that you have on your sheet here in Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 and I've titled this message the spirit of truth who has bewitched you and Paul spoke of this in, in verse 1 we're going to start reading it says oh foolish Galatians who has bewitched you? And that question leaped off the page in my spirit. And I, and I thought, wait a minute. The bewitching, now this, maybe you've read this and you've, you've thought, great. I, I've never really focused on the question. <laughs> the bewitching part, yeah, pastor's written chapter in, in, in one of the books on that. And, and it's referenced. But he's saying there is some individual that is stepped into a point of bewitching you, Galatians, the church at Galatia. And I thought, man, that, that, wait a minute. And I, and I read it again, did I, and, I, and I asked myself, did I really see that clearly? Yes. So at some point in, the, in their spiritual walk, Paul felt compelled to address them in their foolish behavior and how they had let this bewitching influence come in and what was the sole purpose of of this so that they would not obey the aletheia the enemy is doing this in our network and i'm just going to say it and i'm just going to because when you get a word like this you have to you have to say it and, I, and i'll be very careful but we need to hear only the voice of our Lord and obey no other. And I'm telling you, if whatever we hear in the media, whatever we read, it does not matter. If it is not founded on the scripture, we need to avoid it at all costs. I'm saying that for myself. Because there's times where, I'm just being honest, there's times where a spirit of error will come to us, or a lying spirit, and try to get us to think and get off of the pathway in our mind of what God's really doing. Oh, the five-fold ministry, it's really not the way God thinks. Has anybody ever heard that in this room? 
Oh, the seven spirits of God. Oh, it's not the way pastor describes it. Oh, it's over here according to Isaiah 11. Have you ever heard a voice ever come to you and say those kind of things in your, in your mind? Of course we have. That's these enemy forces trying to get us not to believe what the scripture says. We have to. I say we have to. If we don't, deception is going to be our portion. Because as we move further and further along the eternal time frame of the Lord, he says these things are going to get worse. They're going to become more perilous, right? So he's equipped us and he's equipping people that are hearing his voice to not succumb to the tactics of the enemy. And when he says, I mean, I know I'm... I'm I'm not going to get anywhere near the end of this. There is so much meat in, the, in, this, in these four pages. I mean, he, when he says, oh, foolish Galatians, what he's saying there, he's not trying, he, this is not morals. This is not idiotus. This is a term that means they have stopped really using their mind in a way, and they're drawn away because they're thinking more in a sensual manner. And sensual, not necessarily in, the, in, a, in, in a sexual manner, but they're actually allowing their minds to become more carnal than spiritual. And so when that starts to happen, guess what? <laughs> you start doing ridiculous things. Or you may start saying things that are more carnal than pneumatikos-based. The enemy's doing this. And I know... I know the heart of God is grieved as this happens within people. And I felt a I'm just a small inkling of this in prayer one day at home. Divine grief in the heart of God. What does it feel like? And I can't put human terms to it. I can't. You can call it sadness, sorrow, but that it, it, we can't look at it from a human perspective. The more that I grow in the Lord and grow in grace, the more I see, man, the way God is, it, I can't. We try to take human things and explain Him, and that's fine. But sometimes it doesn't really do it justice. Because when you are in a moment where He's letting you feel his heart towards people, and, and, and in that divine, perfect grief, man, it just, it just rivets you to the very core of who he is in you. And I, and I don't know how God's going to awaken people to recognize the error of their way. I really don't. I'm just stunned by it, just like a lot of you. And, but as long as we stay in prayer and as long as we continue to study the scripture and as long as we stay in fellowship with one another and be accountable to one another, those are some of our safeguards. The moment any of us think we are not accountable to anybody, wow. Wow. There is the beginning point of deception. And 
I say this from a heart of love. You know, for those of you that may get this later and you hear it, this is not, I, my heart is broken this morning. It is absolutely crushed because of the deception of the enemy and what he's trying to do in this network. But you know what? We're going to release some prophetic words here from the Apostle Paul that he spoke to Timothy. We have a responsibility as sons in the faith to let people know around us when deception enters in. And there is coming a day where we're going to have to name names. There's coming a day where we're going to have to name ministries. And it's going to have to be done within the scope. I'm not saying make it a public display. That's not the way the Apostle Paul instructed Timothy to do it. He, Paul was instructing Timothy, his son in the faith. Those that are in the faith of what God's doing and what he's saying at the right hand, we will have to let one another know, hey, you don't, need to, you don't need to be going over here and messing with Alexander the coppersmith. You don't need to be going over here with Hymenius. Paul spoke like that. Why? Because they had entered into deception. Demas. We've heard messages about Demas, right? Demas was a part of the Ephesian people at one point. The church at Ephesus. Remember what Ephesus represents? Saints, being in heavenly places, warfare at the highest level. So let's, let's delve in. That kind of gives you some background. And I hope, one of the things that I hope that God can, can put inside of us through this is a point of intercession that Paul pericaleoed Timothy with. And he said, I exhort you. I, I am calling you alongside. I am invoking you to this work that God is doing. And he said, I need you to join in different types of prayer, the, 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 the asis, the prosuke, and all those different types of prayer there. And he said, I need this to be made for all men. And, he, and he's telling us also in that context, this for all men so that all men might be saved and come to the knowledge of what? The truth. The, the aletheia. So those types of prayers are being offered. <laughs> I was reading this this morning. God says that is pleasing and that's acceptable in my sight. The enemy's going to try to pull people away from that. But God says you stick to it because in my eyes, I see that as absolutely acceptable and that and, and those prayers are going to lead to people being sozo points of deliverance being applied and then points of people coming in to the knowledge of the aletheia man i know pastor has recently you know done talked a lot about the the, the temple in heaven and how what we're doing there is impacting the world this passage that Paul spoke to Timothy, his son in the faith, is like that too. It's bringing people into the knowledge of the aletheia. We need to keep doing this. It may look foolish in the eyes of man, but 
Who cares what man thinks? God says, this is acceptable in my sight. Whose sight are we doing this in anyway? His. And when he says, I put my stamp of approval on it, that's exactly what he means. And I hope, I want that to get deep inside of us. And may, may God really stir us in our spirit, in the depth of who we are, to enter into intercession in ways that he's reserved for this hour that are going to be bringing people back into the knowledge of the truth, the aletheia. So Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And that word for bewitched there means to malign or to fascinate people with false representations. I started thinking about that. And some of the recent study I've been doing. And here again, we're looking beyond the physical individuals. We're looking beyond people with names. We're looking at the messages and the teachings that are being released. That's hard to do. I know we're human, but I'm trying to get better at that myself. There are things that are being released that are false representations, and they're meant to fascinate people, which is really bewitching them. And so Paul is really struck by that. And if you look at the root word for um, bewitched here, I put it here in parentheses for you. It stems from uh, femine. It means to show or to make known the thoughts of an individual or something. So it's very, very prophetic in nature, but it's false. And, the, and they're not wanting you to obey or be convinced by or even to rely upon the aletheia. And then he says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received you the breath of God by the works of the law or by the hearing of pistis? So then he brings in this, and I know there's a cultural context here. I could go back and study all the culture and spend four or five hours doing that alone. That's fine. In that setting, it meant something, but what does it mean for us? That's what I'm focused on. I know that's what you want to be focused on. Applications for today. So he's saying, he's bringing in this concept of how did you receive the breath of God? Doing works that are uh, affiliated with the law? Or was it by you hearing something that came from the right hand? <laughs> that's, that's pretty amazing to me. And the answer should be emphatically by the hearing of the pistis. The, the faith, you know, the, we know that faith actually is from the right hand, right? What God's releasing there. That's where we're seated. That's where we're at, right? Why are we even there? Are we just seated so we can sit down and do nothing? I mean, why would we even be there? God has showed us over the years. I mean, specifically why we're there. What we're doing while we're there. What his spirit is doing within us. And Paul's really trying to shake the people there and go, what's going on? Why are you letting this happen? And then he says, are you so foolish? He brings up that same word again. Did you begin in the breath of God, the pneuma? And are, are you now perfected by the flesh of the sarks? He's doing this comparing and contrasting thing and saying, you started out great in my breath. And now you've, you've veered off. 
You've allowed someone to come in and fascinate you with a false representation of, of something that might have a smidging of truth. But again, what is truth? We're going to look at that in a moment. I think there's still some, some things in people's minds where they don't know, okay, this sounds sacrilegious and I don't mean it this way, but I can, let's say this is the Bible. It's got some of the verses in it, right? This is not the truth. Those words on that page, on, on that piece of paper, that's not truth. Hear me out. What is, what is aletheia? When you study it, every, every one of the words, and you trace it all the way back to its root, what does it mean? Something that has been covered up is now being unveiled and revealed in this hour. It is, some people, it just, I don't know, it just doesn't seem to sink in. It's revelatory. It's, it's God saying, okay, diver's tongues 20 years ago, nobody even knew what that was. My spirit of truth guided Pastor Ron into it, showed it to him. You guys experienced it. Boom, that's truth. And it's revealed in the scripture. That's how God reveals truth. Truth is not found in me picking up some book over here and going, oh, there's a little truth there. It's not that at all. It's experiential. And we have to be careful with that too because the enemy would like to get us off on another pathway. But as long as we stay rooted and grounded in the word, that's why it's safe. When, if it's there, it's of the Lord. If it's not, it's not of God. Plain and simple. It's pretty easy when you, when you break it down. And then in verse 4, he says, have you suffered, Pascode? Have you, have you experienced these things that are, that means a, a sensation or impression that's usually painful? Have you experienced these things and you've done it in vain? <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to touch on all the words. If it be yet in vain, he said, he therefore that ministered to you the breath of God. I, these phrases are just jumping. Ministering the breath of God. Do you know we do that? God uses us to take the breath of God within us and to minister that to other people. And he brings in the working of dunamis among you. Does he do it by the works of the law or hearing of faith? So basically Paul is saying, Oh, foolish Galatians, you need to wake up. Get back in my breath. And stop trying to do all these other things that the law cannot do for you. Stop reaching into other sources for gaining truth. And those of you that are listening to this, I pray to God that somehow or another you get this. Not because of what I'm sharing, because of the scripture. And you really look at it and you really examine where you are in the Lord. Because God is speaking profoundly about the spirit of truth and how he guides us. So I kept reading. I just kept reading Galatians because I thought, man, wow, that's amazing. Something else has got to come out of this too. So it was like 1030 that night and I'm just, I'm all in it. And I'm, I'm reading along and I didn't care what time it was. It was one of those moments. And so I came to Galatians 4. And this speaks of Paul talking to the Galatians again. And they're, they're, 
He's saying, am I an enemy because I'm speaking the truth with you? In Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth the Son made of a woman to redeem them that are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the pneuma of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, you're no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then, when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and the beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? So let's pause there for a moment. I was reading this just yesterday while I was studying. I thought, wait a minute. I didn't see that the first time I read it. But his spirit is like saying they're turning again to weak and, and beggarly elements, things that are really of, of this earthly, earthly realm. And he's saying, as you do that, guess what's going to happen? The end result is going to be you're going to become a slave and you're going to be back in bondage. Don't do this. And the applications of that are endless when you start to really apply the principle. He says specifically to the Galatians from a cultural context, you observe days, months, times, and years. Specifically things that they were doing at that time frame. We could really apply that. <laughs> God sees things so differently. How have we how has how has the church gotten so far away from God that we can't see what's plainly here? But I'm gonna I wanna pause just for a second. Anybody have any any comments about what do you think about when you see this observance of days, months, times, and years? What comes to mind? I know I'm putting everybody on the spot. I can, I can pause. That's all. Everybody does today. A lot of people. How do we do this today in a modern sense? You know, like holidays? They could become... We could probably even put Easter in this basket too. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I'm saying it could become, I mean, there are some people, some churches that, I mean, boy, they think this is it, man. I mean, it, it is. It represents something, but it's not about the Easter bunny, right? It's about the, the resurrection of our Lord, right? Um, <coughs> they use it almost like a, uh, an event to... Not, not that they're not after salvation. I'm not saying that. But, you know, some of those bigger churches are really just after more tithing. I mean, that's, their end goal is really money. And I'm sorry to say that, but you know that that's really what they're trying to do. Is that what you mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm just thinking. You know, that pause time is really needed for you to think. Well, without Easter, there's a lot of people who just go to church once a year. <laughs> but now they have 
we, we, we've all heard instances like you know, Dennis just described. I mean, it's the only time some people well, frequent the doors is on special yeah. days or times. Or Well, it sounds very, I mean, what you're asking sounds very Old Testament to me, where the ritual and the ceremony itself was of the replacement for the worship. That could definitely be an application. But I'm thinking way beyond just that. I'm thinking of the modern church. How things that are tradition-based, things that would... There's more of a focus on carnality than there is pneumaticosality. That's right. Is what I'm getting at. Because we are to be more pneumaticos minded right? According to what the scripture says. And that means God's trained us, and he's continuing to do this, of how to move and how to live in his breath. At any given moment, day or night. I mean, there's, there's a lot to it. I'm, I mean, mm -hmm. everything you guys have said is good. It's just there is something within the heart of God during this time frame that he's so grieved that he's moving in his jealousy, in his divine jealousy, in ways to reach people to bring them back into the truth. And we as intercessors, we have to commit to those different types of prayer because that's what our prayers are doing, reaching out and partnering with God in his spirit and in his divine jealousy being released to try to get people to come back into the knowledge of the truth. And, you know, the enemy's fought that for years, is, is the prayers. The, um, and, Pastor, I know you're, you're writing that book. I, I know it's going to be great. It's going to be exceptional. And I'm so grateful for the Lord opening up and sharing truth like that. That's always been there. That's, that's, the, that's the discovery part. It's always been there. But in the eternal plan, he's like, this is the time frame for it to be released. And I'm uncovering it afresh, and I'm releasing it apostolically into my church. It's great. Every one of us in the room has that capacity for the spirit of truth to reveal things like that for all of us. It's not just for pastor. You think about the things that you share, the things when you're studying, you, and you go into, and all of a sudden you see something you've never seen, the spirit of truth is guiding you. That's great. It's amazing. Yeah. So, let me pick up where. Bondage, verse yep. 10. Yep, verse 10. Verse 11. Paul says this next, right after that. He says, I am afraid of you. And afraid here just means he, there's an alarm going off on the inside of the Apostle Paul. Lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, deomai, that's that selfless prayer. Be as I am, for, and, and, for I am as you are. You have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation was in my flesh. You despised me not, nor rejected me. But receive me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? 
For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have been plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the Aletheia? I forgot to put that there. He says, they zealously affect you, but not in accordance with the callous. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them, but it is callous, good purpose to be zealously affected always in a callous thing, and not only when I'm present with you. That's a good apostolic word there too, right? For all of us and all the churches. Don't just do it when Apostle Ron is present. Do it even when he's away or, or whoever is representing the heart of God in that country or in that moment. And then he goes into this. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice. For I stand in doubt of you. Doubt there is apareo. And it means Paul was at a point where he had no way of trying to figure out how they had gotten to this point. He was mentally at a loss for how they had let, let this bewitching get into them. How they had also let the weak and the beggarly elements affect them and bring them into bondage again. <laughs> and I have to say, I've, we've all, we all know what that feels like to some degree. There are things going on right now. I don't, I don't have a human answer for it. Neither do you. But we do know we have a spiritual answer for it. And it's called prayers, intercessions, mm -hmm. all of those different types of prayer in partnership with God. And we're believing that he is going to, he is going to bring a point of salvation and he's going to bring a point of, of causing people to come back into alignment with the truth of what he's uncovering in this day and age. That's what we're believing for. Now, I kept reading and in, in chapter 5. There's this hindrancing influences, uh, influence in obeying the truth that, that Paul mentions. In Galatians 5, 1 through 12, he says, Stand fast or remain stationary and persevere in it. Therefore, in the, the liberty, which is really an unrestrained freedom. It's... it's um, it's our citizenship, really, wherein Christ has made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again that every man that is certified that he is a debtor to the entire law. Christ has become of none effect unto you, whosoever you are justified by the law. You are fallen from grace. And I've, I, had, I had to stop here. So he's bringing in the concept of circumcision. We all know what that is. And he's making a point here that if you go back and you try to do one thing in the law, you've got to do the entire law or you're going to be a debtor. You're breaking the law. See, it's impossible. There's no way to do it. And then he says, if you try to go back and be justified by the law, then there's this point of falling from grace. What does that mean? Well, when you look at the word for fallen there, it means to be, it means to be, to drop away or to be driven out of one's course so much so that you become inefficient or ineffective. In what? 
You're falling from the uh, grace, being able to grow in it. I mean, we could really camp out here for a while and talk about some modern day application of this. And we could put insert bitterness here. That would keep you from, from moving forward in grace. <coughs> but anytime we feel like we're being trying to be driven into, into another pathway or driven off course, that's not a good thing. We need to force ourselves and go, you know what? I'm staying on course. I'm not going to go and veer off because we could fall from entering into a point of crease. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. There's like five major words there that we're all familiar with. For in, in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith, which it's worked by agape. <coughs> Verse 7 is where I pulled this from. You did run well or in the callous, the good purpose. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Here's, the, here's a, that same question. And the word for hinder here is comprised of two Greek terms, ana and kopto. And it means to beat back or to check. And any, to me, there's, there's a lot of meaning behind that. But anything that would try to hinder us in our, in our forward progression, we, we don't need to allow that to happen. We need to fight it at all costs. And anything could actually do that and try to get us off. And the ultimate objective is for us not to step in to obedience, to not stay under the covering of, of the Lord and, and, and not to stay under the directive and the mandates of the Lord. Mark? Yes. You may be fixing to cover this, so just stop me if you are. But no, go ahead. The interesting phrase that kind of jumped out at me as you read it was that um, who would hinder you? I can't find it now. That you should not obey the truth. Mm -hmm. And think about that. That means, yeah, so that means that you're not staying in that mystery. You're not continuing forward in the revelation. To me, that's another aspect of, of being deceived. I mean, once you've entered into an Amonicos lifestyle, when you fall back from doing that, you stop. You know, maybe that right-hand communion, one thing, but the truth itself is what is revealed out of the Word. It's what that mystery is that's being revealed. And, you know, you think about, you know, not keeping up with what is being revealed apostolically. Then you're open to deception. Yeah, that, that's so true. And, you know, when you, when you go into the bookstore, it can be overwhelming. Yeah. Just, just the volume of truth that is in that bookstore. And, but the overwhelm should not keep us from not wanting to read the truth. And I think some people, the reason why they don't get it, I'm just going to say it. They don't read it and they don't study it. Paul said, study yourself. And, you know, some of the things, I want to use an example here that happens in our home. Some churches, they don't even encourage their people to read the Scripture. 
They don't. Some denominations don't. <laughs> I, find, I, I find that hard to believe. I, I know to be a Christian and to be Christ-like, how can you not do what Paul told Timothy to study to show yourself approved unto God. It didn't say let the priest study for you or let it didn't say or let the monk study. It didn't say any of those things. Okay, if you don't know how to study, that's that's another thing. You can be taught how to study. Mm -hmm. Some people they do. They need help. But yeah, that's that's a good point, Monica. I think one of the most frightening things to me is that the deception is coming through what people from the interpretation of scripture and the way that they are interpreting scripture and making it truth and and that's the i mean that's the gray area that's so frightening that yeah. mm -hmm. it it is their interpretation what is leading them into that interpretation and they're so um convinced that this is the interpretation, this is the truth, that what is God is revealing through his scripture. And that is frightening to me. Because interpretation, if it is truly the mind of Christ and the way that he thinks, and it's, you know, it's the fullness of who he is, but mm -hmm. um, that's really what we're facing, is these false interpretations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you... Um, it, and that's something, you know, you bring that up. There, there is a human element involved. I mean, we, we're not just a puppet. <laughs> you know, God, right. God can give us the exact interpretation of what it means, but we have to be so cautious of that. We have to go, okay, is... What's your agenda that kind of steers the interpretation? If you're looking for something to back up what you're trying to achieve... You can make those interpretations to go the direction you want. I think the I think the beauty of what God has taught us is that the interpretation that that's, that we are built upon goes back to the root of Scripture. Yes. And so when you talk about learn how to study, that is so important that you learn how to study the root of what God is saying because that's from where every one of those books in the bookstore is, exactly that's the foundation exactly. of every one of them is what does this really mean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, you, there's not gray area there when it says faith means being from the right hand. And yeah. not just what everybody else says it is. Right. Yeah, I, and then, yeah, we have, we have a great foundation, you know, and um, I think people mean well. I do too. I, I think their intention is not, like I said earlier, I don't think people want to be want to be deceived. I don't think they wake up and go, "Hey, I want to bring deception," but and that's something I've been thinking about too is the human element of how we interpret the scripture ourselves. Because, but we have to have the divine, eternal Spirit of God that's perfect, invading our our minds and and, and filling our spirits and directing us and guiding us. And when we have that. He helps us with what it means as we study. And, you know, some people might tell you, well, you know, I, I don't know Greek or Hebrew. I don't know how to speak Hebrew and Greek. But I'm using tools of Greek scholars and he Hebraic scholars. Want to, it would take me forever to learn that, actually. But you take the tools that are in front of you and you learn how to use those. 
I think that's wise. Brian. Well, uh, that's full and good to, to, to do the Greek and the Hebrew, but I grew up in a church where when I was 21, I couldn't, I couldn't stand it anymore because they would believe the first part of a verse and not the last part of, of a verse. Mm -hmm. So who gave them the right to choose which end of the verse they're going to believe <laughs> and practice and teach? Yeah, there, there's that human element again. They, they pick out what they want. Yeah, I, just, I, yeah, I just never could get there. And I grew up in that church. Yeah. But I got out of it. That's a well, good point. That goes on in a lot of them. That's a good I point. I think that's why when, when he tells us to go make disciples, and, and you study what a disciple is, it is making those students of the word. Mm -hmm. It's not make, going out and making evangelists that are going to spread mm -hmm. them. It is making them students, love it, you know, students of the word. And what is a student? A student is somebody that studies the word. Mm -hmm. and it's continually so learning and yeah. growing and the logos yeah yeah and not just taking your word for it i mean no. not, just, not just another follower of you, i mean yeah. we you know pastor has said so things. many times you know this is not my word i mean it's it's the word of the lord go back and study it and and i honestly i know for myself you know when we first came initially there's this shock you know, shock back into reality, the real reality. And then you finally get, you start grasping things. But it's, this is not just going to happen by osmosis. You have to study. Discipline. You have to read. You have to study it. And if you don't get it the first time, read it again. Because as you do that, I know, I know God watches this. He's wanting to see how well we're going to be a steward of the revelation that maybe we don't get, but somebody else gets too. And as we study and as we do these things, then he goes, okay, you're serious. I'm going to help you with this. And then he starts to enlighten us and to give illumination. But if all, if all I ever did was come here every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and just listen to the pastor, and I went home and did nothing, I'm going to feel totally lost, and I should be, because I'm not doing my part and I think that's where some people I'm not saying a lot saying some people within our network are is they have to get this right study is absolutely necessary to understand the deeper things of the Lord this, one of the, the uh, topics in the news this week uh, especially this week but before was how the population of church attendance has fallen in the last 20 to 40 years it's fallen dramatically and um, we all know the reason for that. We could name one through 20, all of us in this room, why that's happened. But when you say you'll make disciples of each other, it's up on a natural level. When we're raising our children, we can either teach them to do what we tell them to do, or we can go a step further mm -hmm. and teach them how to think for themselves and make the right decisions. And when we teach them that, that is more like discipling than just teaching them to do what we tell them to do. Right. So the church functions now in a way that they just want to tell you how to, what to do and how to act and, and not 
support what they're telling you because if you're not reading the word they don't have to prove what they say <laughs> and and uh, that's not discipling it's just not discipling and so it's it this is the closest what we're doing now in this church is the closest thing to true discipling I think that I've ever seen because we're not just telling people what to do we're telling we're you helping to teach them to, to know fish. what to do yeah. themselves right. in the word and in the spirit yeah we're, we're empowering them not being enablers you exactly. know it's just it's, it's a huge exactly. difference and, what's the encouraging that's of praying that's making a disciple that's well, making. and you're exactly right that's a good analogy um The intercession is so, and, and we part of part of being a disciple too is 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 to try to teach people. You know, there, there's times and there's seasons that you walk through as an intercessor, and sometimes it's going to be really great. <coughs> I mean, it's going to be the, the the goodness of the Lord is going to be so apparent. The tobe is going to be there. But then there's some seasons and times where you walk through <coughs> that are that are that are desert-like. I mean, those things are important. I think that and, and you think back when you were walking through the the desert and you didn't even know what the friend of the bridegroom was. You just knew you were in a dry place. You knew it was horrible. I wanted to get out of it. I mean, I need some water. I mean, all those different things. <coughs> And when, when pastors started teaching about the front of the bridegroom and the, and the characteristics of, of that individual and the, and the walk, it really revolutionized the way that you viewed um, solitude and desert-like conditions. And it really put perspective on it, right? And when you share that with another person in, in a discipling manner, like Dennis was talking about and Monica and... Man, that is empowering. That lets that person know the next time they feel or sense any dryness, they know exactly where they're at, and they're not going off on, on 50 different rabbit trails going, oh, what was me? What have I done wrong? They're not going down that because they know this is part of the eternal plan. Mm -hmm. It's just a different time and a season. And, you know, this time that we're in, and I'm going to kind of, I can't brush through this. There's no way to do it. But I, I do want to <coughs> just kind of hit some of these points here. And I think it's so important. Like, like, I, like I said earlier, I wanna, I'm going to go back to this. When, I really wonder what the Apostle Paul felt in his heart when he had to name names people to avoid our motivation has to be so in alignment with the heart of God when this happens because Paul is speaking to his son in the faith and, and I know that pastor and different ones are going to be asked to do this because of how the enemy might be trying to infiltrate and your heart has to be broken it has to be in the right place it can't be I'm doing this out of anger. I can't be doing it out of any other thing other than a heart that is in feeling and sensing the, the heart of God in this grieving manner because 
Any other motivation is, is, is wrong. And so when he told Timothy, he said, you need to, he used terms like avoid, shun. And he was very specific. And so let's look at this last page. Page four in the few minutes we have left. Actually, it starts on the bottom of page three. Apostolic words to sons in the faith. Now, I may botch up some of these names because they're really kind of hard to pronounce. Really? Yeah. Um, Hymenius <laughs> and Philetus. In 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20, Paul says, This charge I commit unto you. Very interesting phrase. The word for charge means a mandate. Not optional. Not, well, I think I might do that. No. He says, I am giving you a mandate and I am committing, I am paratithemaing to you, son Timothy. Boy, very endearing. And I want you to feel the apostolic heart of God through the Apostle Paul. As we look at this, we need to see the apostolic nature and the mindset of God through these people because that's how he's expressing himself. He's using their personalities, but it's really the person of God expressed through people. I, 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 I had looked at Paul like this, but he is really committing this to his son in the faith. And he says, according to the prophecies which went before you, that you might wage a good warfare. Echoing faith or pistis and agathos conscience or agathos perceptions is what the word conscience here means when you look it up. And I encourage you to do it. Things that come out of a passionate exchange with the heart of God that you perceive. Hold fast to faith and then this these agathos things that come to you through that passionate relationship. He says, which some have put away, just absolutely rejected it, concerning faith, and that it's caused them to be shipwrecked. Shipwrecked here means, I mean, stranded. Not being, being out in the middle of somewhere, not knowing how to navigate. Lost. I mean, we couldn't... This is how serious the truth is. He, and then he says, of whom is Hymenius? And this guy here is actually, when you look at it and study it, he is an opponent of the apostolic. And Alexander, and Alexander's name means he was a man defender. Whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go to that extent unless the Lord says it, but that's pretty detailed. So what does that mean for us? There will be times like we're in now that we need to encourage our sons in the faith to stay away from influences like Hymenius and Alexander, just to name a few.
I have already started doing this with some. And people are willingly accepting some of the correction. There are false teachings galore. And people are trying to infect, some of you may not even know this, some in our body with it. Here. The moment we hear it come from someone's lips, I think we need to step forward in a loving way and say, the buck stops here. This is not scriptural. We are not going to engage in this. We are following the biblical pattern with those that are among us. I'm not saying go down here to the Methodist church and go and say, hey! No, that's not what Paul... He's doing it within the sons of the faith. Janice and Jombre said, what a name. JJ. JJ. Um, withstood Moses. So do these resist the Aletheia. Because there's this corruption that has entered into their thought process that's led them to become reprobate concerning the pistis. Here's a prophetic promise that, that we have. But they shall proceed no further. For their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. As I read this passage, this verse here, not passage, verse, I felt strongly that this is a promise that we need to declare. And if you look at the words, the word for proceed no, fo- pr- proceed no more or further, that word literally means to drive forward or to make advancements. They are not going to be making advancements any longer. It may appear that it's advancing, but the ultimate, God is going to make sure that His message has far more advancement than these resistors of the Aletheia. Does that make sense? And their, their folly, and folly there, if you look at it, speaks of stupidity. It speaks of, of, of people that, are, that have been, they're, they're enraged to the point. Their stupidity has caused their rage. But he says, I'm going to make sure that this is totally evident to all men. And so I just speak that over all of us and over our network as we move forward. Amen? So Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share this morning. And may we all stay so close to your heart in this hour and be ready at a moment's notice to speak the aletheia to sons that are in the faith. And we thank you for this opportunity. We love you so very much. Never let us take it for granted. And I just ask that you would continue to stir our hearts in these different types of prayer Because, Lord, you are using it to bring people into sozo experiences and bringing people back into alignment with the aletheia, the truth. And I thank you for this, and I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.